Well, good morning, Cornerstone. Thank you all for being here today. It's such a joy to uh, join with you in worshiping our Lord together. And uh, I look forward to sharing with you what the Lord has been teaching me about an important topic for any believer this morning, and that is delighting in God. If, you're, if you'd like to follow along, please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, and I'll have the text up on the sp- screen as well. To begin with, I'd like to pray, and then we'll get going. Lord, thank you for this time together and the opportunity to open your word and praise you. Please bless this time and help our hearts and minds be open to the words you have for us today. Lord, please help me to teach your scriptures well and honestly. And by your word, may each of us grow in our love and delight in you, our God. To you, be all praise and glory and honor. Amen. So let me begin with a question, a question that I think we should all be asking ourselves and each other regularly as Christians. And that is, how is your relationship with Christ, your Savior, going? Are you finding your joy more in Him or in the world? I ask this question because I've heard it said that the difference between a Christian who survives and a Christian who thrives is the extent in which they delight in God. And I think this is true, and it bears directly on how you can answer the question just posed. I've recently come through a season where joy has been difficult to come by. And the Lord has been helping me through and out of this season by showing me both the need and the path to delighting in Him more. And that by delighting in him more, I can experience greater joy, not based on my circumstances or my emotions, but instead based on him and the truth of his gospel. My one goal for our time together this morning is for you to grow in your delight of God, that you may gaze on Christ our Savior and see his glory, and in beholding his glory be transformed more into his likeness. and that experiencing a renewed hope in the gospel which he offers. And through this, that people outside these walls would see that change and wonder at our reason for our hope and our certainty in it. Today we will be going through Romans chapter 5, 1 through 11, and also briefly in Psalm 91, which was the background scripture that Jordan read this morning. And as we go through these verses, we'll be asking... The question, how do we grow in our delight of God? But before we dive into the scriptures, I'd like to talk about delight a little bit. What does it mean? And also give us some time to dwell on what we're currently delighting in. So first, the definition of delight. As a noun, Merriam-Webster gives the definition as a high degree of gratification or pleasure, joy, also extreme satisfaction. As a verb, delight is to take great pleasure in something. We've all seen delight. 
It's when a child expresses unfiltered, bubbly wonder and pleasure at whatever it is that catches their fancy at the time. For Olive, it was balls or spherical, spherical objects when she was two. And currently, she's moved on to fluffy things. And you should really see the delight on this girl's face when you take a feather and brush the bottom of her chin or her cheek. It is delightful. As we mature, our delight also matures with us, and it deepens such that we can experience delight in things like a symphony or an inspired piece of art or the creation that our God has so wonderfully made. The Bible uses the concept of delight extensively to speak about what God is pleased in and with and how his people should find pleasure as well, what his people should delight in as they follow him. And of course, our greatest example of how to delight in this life as Christians is provided in the new man, Jesus. And we see in scripture that his greatest pleasure was in honoring and obeying his father. But he's not the only example that we run into in this life about what to delight in. Our culture is rife with confused pursuits of empty and often destructive delights. From relatively benign things like overindulging in tasty treats to chase that dopamine hit, or finding one's pleasure in God's creation instead of the one who created it, to more destructive things like glorifying things that the Bible calls out as perversions. Now, I won't go through the scriptures now, but there is a host of them in the Bible that speak to what God delights in and what we should find our delight in, along with contrasts of what the wicked delight in. But I want to ask one question before we go on and give us a little bit of time to dwell on it. And that is, what are you delighting in currently? And is it something that is in alignment with what you know about God, Jesus, and the heroes of our faith and what they delight in. I'd like to ask a question. Could it be that what is bringing you the most delight and pleasure at this time is something that our culture or advertising has told you to take pleasure in or something good but that stops short of delighting in the giver of that good thing? And with that, let's dive into the passage that we are going through today, Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare, dare even to die. <clears throat> 
but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. How can we grow in our delight of God? First, we'll look at Romans 5, 1 through 2. And looking at verse 1, we immediately see a therefore. And whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, it's a good idea to ask, therefore what? And here the passage explains, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith. Let's double click on that for a moment. We're justified by faith, but faith in what? If we look earlier in Romans in chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, we read, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Faith in what? The gospel of Jesus. That is the work that he did on the cross to solve our sin problem and open up for us a path of relationship with God. A little later in Romans, in 4.13, we read of Abraham's faith. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. He, Abraham, believed the promise of the gospel as it was given to him. And in so doing, he was justified by faith. And finally, a little further in Romans 18 through 22, in hope he, being Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith, and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. We see here in Abraham, a hope, a faith that God could do what he said he would do. And the passage goes on in 23 through 25, right before our passage. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. 
It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespass and raised for our justification. So therefore what? Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, faith that God, that what God revealed beginning in Genesis 3 about his intention and his ability to solve the sin problem, and again to Abraham in the promises to him, and finally worked out through Jesus by the cross. Faith that these are truths that we can count on and should and do change our lives when we do so. And what is the outcome of our faith in these truths? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the first of our answers to our question, how do we delight in our God? by realizing that we can delight in him. Instead of experiencing the wrath of God, our sin is no longer a barrier to delighting in him because of Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf. The outcome of our faith. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, he has, who has been given to us. So what is the outcome of our faith? The faith that allows us to delight in God. We have peace with God. We obtain access into grace. And we rejoice in hope of God's glory. But we rejoice not only in those glorious outcomes, peace, access, hope, We also rejoice in the difficulties we experience as we live lives here on earth as disciples of Jesus in a fallen world. And our sufferings produce endurance, character, and hope. It's hard to believe, but just as Abraham's hope was certain because of the one who made the promise to him, our hope is certain as well and does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So how do we grow in our delight of God? By rejoicing in our sufferings because God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. This one deserves a little bit more contemplation How can suffering result in delight? First, let us recognize the mystery here. We rejoice in our sufferings because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This pouring out of the Holy Spirit into our hearts is one of the greatest mysteries in the word of our Lord and one that was promised long ago throughout scriptures, but a couple of verses here in Ezekiel. And I will give you a new heart 
and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And further in John, my, fa- my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And in Hebrews, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. This mystery, this mystery of the Holy Spirit coming in and this God dwelling in us, the same God who took on our sin and entered our suffering on the cross to save us from that sin and suffering and who by doing so will be glorified for eternity by saints and angels and to whom every knee will bow. And why will that happen? Because he suffered in our place. On a more human scale, Paul picks up the theme by saying in Colossians 1, 24 through 29, Now I, being Paul, rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to whom God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. So you can see, even though it doesn't make sense to us to delight in suffering, being able to grow in our delight of God by rejoicing in suffering is something that is done in us through the Holy Spirit indwelling us, working through us, so that we can rejoice knowing that this is the way, the way that God has provided to produce endurance and character and hope in us. And that's the second answer to our question, how do we grow in our delight of God? By rejoicing in our sufferings, because God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, fully recognizing that this is a mystery but one that we can delight in. The next answer to our question, how can we delight in, grow in our delight of God, comes from our background scripture today in Psalm 91. So if you'll turn there in your Bibles, we'll be looking at verses 14 through 16. And one of the truths that has struck me lately is that God doesn't redeem me out of some cosmic sense of Uh, duty, but instead he redeems me because he actually wants to. He actually wants me to be in relationship with him. And that is what we see in Psalm 91. And I won't read the whole thing, but I will read 14 through 16. Because he, the psalmist, holds fast to me, God, in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him. 
because he knows my name. When he calls me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. In this psalm, we read of God's response to the psalmist who says to God in the beginning, you are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And the response that God gives is because he, the psalmist, and by extension us, who confess that Jesus is Lord of our lives, because he holds fast to me in love, I, God, will deliver him and I will protect him because he knows my name. Holds fast to me in love. What does this mean? The definition gives to love, to be attached to, long for. And elsewhere in the Bible, this verb is used to talk about fastening two objects together, seemingly with the intention that they would be inseparable. And also there's a sense of affection, of love, of clinging together. So holding on to God for dear life will result in being ultimately delivered from our trouble. And what does knows here mean? Simply to know. Like you would know a person, know their name, know who they are, be acquainted with them, a personal type of knowing with many different dimensions to that knowing. I like the way that the message translation paraphrases the first part of 14 through 16. If you'll hold on to me for dear life, says God, I'll get you out of any trouble. I'll give you the best of care if you'll only get to know and trust me. In the psalm, God goes on in 15 through 16 to say, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. God's love and care for us doesn't stop at the cross. The cross is a beginning, a pivotal step, not something to move on from, to go on from, but one that changes everything. His love extends through the cross to include our whole lives. Lives that he, God, wants to be the focus of. We get the sense here that he actually likes us, actually wants us. And since he is God, that makes us likable and wantable. Not due to anything that we've done, lest we become proud, but due instead to his deciding that we are and through the redemptive power of the cross. And that's the third answer to the question that I posed today. How do we grow in our delight of God? And that is by confessing as true what God says about us, that we are likable and wantable by him not due to anything we have done or are, but due to his deciding that we are and through the redemptive power of the cross. And jumping back to Romans 5, 6 through 8, we see this fleshed out wonderfully. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God 
shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What a thing to delight in. Think about this for a minute. Think about who and what God is. He's so massive, so incredible, so infinite that he shouldn't even take notice of the wisps of vapor, infinitesimally small specks of dust that we are in comparison to him. And yet he does take notice. But that infinite being taking notice of us should scare the living daylights out of us and cause us to cower in the corners of this earth with the certainty of destruction. But that isn't the case. Because not only does this infinite being take notice of us, he loves us. Loves us so much that he would send his only begotten son to earth to live the life that we should have lived but refused to and die the death that we should have died so that he could pay the penalty of our rebellion and thus provide for us forgiveness. But not only forgiveness, also a path to relationship with this infinitely powerful and infinitely loving being who goes by the name I am. And that's the last point that I want to focus on as an answer to the question, how do we grow in our delight of God? Romans 5, 9 through 11. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Just think of how our lives will expand and deepen as we dive deeper into the relationship with this love itself and the incredible gift of reconciliation. Instead of cowering in fear from this infinite being, we are no longer content to simply say it in plotting prose, but we sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus, the Messiah. Which brings us to our final answer to the question, how do we grow in our delight of God? By dwelling on how our lives will expand and deepen through Christ, removing the barrier of our sin and inviting us into an amazing friendship with the infinite, immeasurable, inconceivable, all-loving God who we confess and bow down to as our Lord. We began with an observation. The difference between a Christian who survives and one who thrives is the extent to which each of them delights in God. Now, I didn't prove that, but I invite you to prove it to yourself through scriptures. And if you'd like some places to look, I'd be happy to make some suggestions. But given that's true, that the path to thriving as a Christian is growing in our delight of God, the obvious question we asked was, how do we grow in our delight of God? And I've given you four answers as summarized here from Romans 5 and 11. 5 through 11 and uh, Psalm 91. But one thing that I want to make incredibly clear 
as we think about applying these in our lives is that they all assume are in the context of and only find their full expression in the context of a local church through regular committed engagement with your brothers and sisters in the faith. The church is the means through which we can experience the delight that our God has for us. And apart from the church, it won't be long before that delight withers and is replaced by something else in this world. So then, the question that remains is, will you join me in this exciting and scary prospect of believing that the path to thriving as a Christian is going all in on trusting and delighting in our infinite Lord? If you're like me, then for far too long, you have let life get in the way of pursuing God. Lord, may that no longer be the case for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you promise that if we hold on to you for dear life, you'll get us out of any trouble. You'll give us the best of care if we'll only get to know and trust you. That if we call you, then you will answer. Be at our side in bad times and rescue us and give us a long drink of salvation. May it be, Lord. May we be the type of people who yearn for that drink of salvation. May we grow in our delight of you. Bless us, Lord, now, as we sing and shout our praises to you through Jesus, the Messiah. Amen.